Hey, everybody, this is Christian Brindle, president and founder of Christian Brindle Insurance Services, an agency specializing in Medicare health plans, as well as the founder and admin of the Six Figure Medicare Agent Facebook community. And I am Glenn Shelton, founder and president of Lead Heroes, where we specialize in final expense and Medicare insurance leads. Every single Tuesday, guys, we have decided to come together and bring our forces together to talk about our two favorite subjects in the world, insurance and tacos. Henceforth, Taco Tuesday, let's taco about insurance. Every single Tuesday, we will live stream this show for the group Six Figure Medicare Agent at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't miss it. It can also be found everywhere that podcasts can be listened to, or you could watch the replay of the video up on our YouTube channel for the Six Figure Medicare Agent YouTube channel. Thanks so much for watching. Hope you enjoy, and let's get into this. And we are live, and we're also recording, so we're, we're, we got the double threat here. Um, welcome, everybody, to another edition of Taco Tuesday with Glenn Shelton, the man, the myth, the legend. Mr. Shelton, how are you today? My, this is my king wave. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Taco Tuesday, January 12th, 2021. Um, I'm super excited, you guys. We we are live here. We've got I've got some great tacos. I don't know what Christian has because we have yet to do our reveal, but this as as is tradition, Christian, show us. Okay. So I have a Del Taco specialty taco. Oh, you're with, such a Del Taco. I feel like you like Del Taco more than Taco Bell. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a that's a that's a tough one. Oh, I knew it. Talk, 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 Taco Bell's got that breakfast though. One of these days I'm gonna show up with breakfast. Taco Bell <laughs> breakfast. Have you ever gotten breakfast from Taco Bell? I'll be completely honest with you. There was a span for like about a year that I got it every single day like every morning, like for like a year straight. I just what? could not stop. No. Yes. yes. Are you see, I've never had it. I've never had Taco Bell for breakfast. Anybody watching this, has anyone else had Taco Bell for breakfast before? I'm in shock right now. <laughs> yeah. So, what okay. Do you get? I, what do you I, get? I will make a bold claim here and now. If you try the... The, the taco bell breakfast crunch wrap it's like a taco wrap with with like bacon or bacon or sausage hash brown cheese eggs all wrapped together if you have one of those okay you can never eat mcdonald's breakfast again because it won't it won't it won't stack up the taco bell breakfast is where it's at now i feel like i have to like I need like a side by side, and I I'm a McDonald now. McDonald's that's a classic for me. I can't not get a McMuffin, an egg egg and cheese McMuffin. You know that's that's it. I'm gonna have to now. I really want to try it. That's crazy. See, Ollie Ollie's got my back. Ollie Let's said it's that. good. That's one person though. I want to see more. I need to see a larger swath of people. Nothing against him. I I think Taco Bell breakfast is. I don't know. This is just. I wasn't it's, expecting this. I'm so thrown off guard today. Taco it's, Tuesday. You know, it's 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 like the silent majority kind of thing. You know, it's um, Taco Bell breakfast. The real breakfast eaters and consumers <laughs> understand the greatness of Taco Bell. Coming. 
So, anyways. oh, Matt, Matt says yes, he can vouch for the crunch wrap. The breakfast crunch wrap, though, Matt. Breakfast crunch wrap. Breakfast crunch wrap. Fantastic. Wow. Um, if you leave there is a majority, a silent if, majority. If you put, if you put um, like a paper towel on a desk or a table and leave a crunch wrap on it for like two or three hours, the, the paper towel will be soaked. <laughs> oh, that's not, I don't think, this is why Taco Bell won't sponsor us, Christian, <laughs> because you keep saying stuff like this. I have this beautiful, let's see if I can get a shot of this. Ooh, they are homemade reet tacos, beans, beef, salsa sour cream cheese that looks fantastic here and i'm so hungry i was telling christian before we went live today you guys i'm probably just going to be eating for majority of this this hour today while christian rambles on about medicare and insurance mm-hmm. but let's let's talk about it let's talk about Cheers. it um just real quickly before before i jump into our topic today i have fish and mango sauce taco Mm. and it sounded like a good combination so i was excited about it and um we'll see how it is oh, let's see it i like mango i'm a big mango fam good stuff. Mm. it actually is surprisingly good together good. So mango i love mango mango salsa um mm. i love mango but fish tacos are kind of hit or miss for me mm-hmm. they're either disgusting or delicious yeah, no one uh, between. Mm-hmm. So, guys, before we went live on here, <laughs> Glenn and I were, you know, getting a little political, getting a little political, you know. Um, yes, sir. We're going to talk about censorship. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not talking about that. <laughs> just kidding. We're talking. We're going to talk about. Um, Tell us who you voted for in the comments right now. <laughs> And if it's if it's the wrong person, your your ass is out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. Um, we welcome everybody in here. All are welcome. Um, All the way to the left, to the right, you're welcome here. We want to talk about it. To the talk. windows, to the wall, you know. Till the salsa drips. Down I, don't your should, I don't know if we should keep going with this line of of, of conversation, but. <laughs> but oh man! But anyway, guys. Um, we, we, we thought it would be really interesting and really, um, you know, kind of insightful for, you know, anybody that's plugged into the Medicare business, which I hope a majority of you listening to this would be to talk about what would Medicare look like if Biden lowered the Biden administration, lowered the eligibility age to 60, 65 to 60. What would that do to the Medicare business? Would be, would it be a positive thing? Would it be a negative thing? Um, Glenn, I'd love to start out with kind of getting your take on it, what, what, what would your expectations be for something like that? So first I'll give you guys a little more backstory, like why this even came up as a topic today. So I was talking to someone else, obviously at lead heroes, I'm talking to, you know, insurance agents, agency owners, media buyers, IMOs, FMOs. I'm talking to all sorts of people in the Medicare space, you know, Monday through Friday. And yesterday in one of my conversations that came up was, someone who I'd love to have here on Taco Tuesday, which Christian and I both want to get back to having guests on. So stay tuned, you guys. You know, season two just kicked off. But we're, we're excited to bring on more guests this year as we continue on through the year. Um, 
but I'm talking to this individual yesterday and he said that he was more or less willing to bet his business on the idea that Medicare's enrollment age will be lowered. Um, and, and this was essentially the reasoning that this person gave me behind this, right? So one is, is the pandemic, right? So you have the pandemic that's happening more people need health insurance than ever. I think we saw a huge year with ACA this last year because of that. Um, you have a bunch of people who are trying to retire early. I think, and this was what got me where I, when he, when this person said this to me, I was like, oh, I'm like, you're right. You have, you have the seniors. So, you know, in my head, a senior is really like 50 to 80, really, right? 55 to 80. What's the IHOP rate? Isn't yeah. it like 55 and up? Yeah, 55, uh, exactly. You get a senior discount, you're a senior citizen. But that 55 to 65, that that demographic, I think you have people who are trying to retire early who really don't have a healthcare option. And so you have, you know, again, and and I'm I don't want this to get like political in the sense of like, you know, who, who's right or wrong or, you know, who you voted for, not, nothing like that. But again, with kind of the, the changing of the administration, um, what I feel like we're most likely going to see is uh, more, more healthcare changes happening. Yeah. And Jerry, I appreciate you saying that. Why is 65 the magic number? I, I don't, you know, I think it, because it lines up with retirement age, but again, when you have people who are trying to retire early, who need a healthcare option in the middle of this healthcare crisis, essentially, where people need health insurance, I think there is this kind of this swirling of events happening between the administration change, between the pandemic, between Medicare being so successful that it could get the age lowered. And if the age does get lowered to 62, 60, 55, I don't know where it would go, right? I mean, this is really all speculation. I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of start that too, is I don't have any concrete evidence of this happening for sure, but I do think that the possibility of the Medicare age being lowered in the next, say, one to 12 months is I think it's fairly high. I really do. I, I think there's a lot of chatter about it. I think you have the the left, um, the the really liberal folks who want like a Medicare for all. I, I don't think there is a, a wide agreement on that, but I think something like lowering the Medicare age um, would get a, a more bipartisan agreement um, from from those in office and those in the constituents, you know, the voters. So what I would expect, I think was kind of your question there, Christian. Um, I, I think it'd be a gold rush, you guys. I really do. I keep thinking, I've been spinning my wheels on this for 24 hours now. And, um, you know, my parents are in their early 60s. So, you know, that's two people who aren't Medicare eligible, who overnight would become Medicare eligible. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the number would be. If we went down to 60, if tomorrow we all woke up and anyone from 60 to 65 could now get on Medicare, it's got to be like 20, 30 million people, I would guess. Maybe as Christian, are you, are you fact checking? I am. I'm looking it up because I am curious myself. But some, some in the tens of millions, right? So there's some number in the tens of millions in the Medicare eligible space that would go from not being eligible to being eligible overnight. And it would be like, yeah, it definitely would be a gold rush. 
Thank you, Mike. Shout out. Shout out to Mike Gillum. I uh, appreciate you watching, brother. Uh, but yeah, it would be a gold rush. I imagine it like, you know, you have this, this normal 11,000 per day coming into Medicare. All of a sudden, this pipeline goes from a trickle to an explosion. I mean, you're talking about a flood. Uh, it, it would be insane. It really would be. So that's my take. I don't know exactly how the logistics of this would all play out. I don't know what the actual likelihood is. I, I would say it's more likely than not likely. That that would be my <laughs> my stance on it. I don't know how much that really helps any of you, but Christian, what do you think? So depending on the source, I found I, I just quickly skimmed through a couple of different articles. There it the, the number lies about somewhere between the twenty and thirty million dollar range. And 30 million, 30, 20 to thirty million people range. Right. Um, right, right, right. in that age demographic in the United States. So that's a, that's a huge number that just gets automatically thrown into the pool, you know, mm-hmm. of, of Medicare eligibility. What would, um, one thing that's kind of interesting is that I don't know if a lot of people are thinking about, um, and I'm sure I already know the answer to this, but right now, you know, to people that are out, people that are placed on Medicare disability under the age of 65, in a lot of states, there are some exceptions to this. There are some states that do allow them at a higher rate, but a lot of states won't let people get on subs under 65. So would it just be exactly the way it is now with the age lowered to 60? I would imagine so, you know, to where like, you know, this, your, your seven month window essentially circles around your 60th birthday instead of your 65th birthday. But that's something that's kind of interesting um, to think about. Here's, there, there's two sides of this spectrum the way that I would look at it. And I will do my very best to kind of not get political here. I mean, um, and I really, politically wise, I don't really think one way or the other about it, to be honest with you. But um, I would say that obviously from an agent perspective in the short term, it'd be a humongous positive. It would be a great, great opportunity um, for us as agents and, you know, Medicare business owners because it'd be huge opportunity, you know, like when my dad was in the business, he had been in for about seven or eight years. And there was a version of Medicare Advantage in the 90s. A lot of people don't know that. And um, there was, it only lasted about three or four years, but insurance companies and the government couldn't come to terms on negotiations. They pulled the plug on it. It wasn't even called Medicare Advantage back then, I don't think. Um, But it was like a Medicare Advantage-like program, but they pulled the plug. And millions of people across the country instantly went without coverage, and it be, and those people had to basically switch to Medicare supplements, Medigaps, or go with just Medicare. Um, and so my dad, you know, he was writing, you know, so many apps. Like he he describes it that there were so many apps that like his desk would be full, and he'd lose apps and things like that, and like it was just chaotic. All paper apps back then, um, ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven, I believe was the year, and I think he tripled the size of his book of business in like six months. Um, It was insane, you know, and that, that time period, by the way, had a huge part, probably bigger than any other single instant. um, But a huge role in building my dad's agency, you know? Um, And it was just a crazy, crazy time back then. And so it reminds me of that. You know, I think it reminds me of that kind of potential if it was to happen. Um, I think the other side of the coin and the argument is um, 
can our system handle it is the thing. You know, I mean, that's always going to be the, 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 the argument. I was having a conversation with someone recently and I told them I was like, as much as I hate to say this, and, and you know, they all, I, I, I hear people all the time say they'll always find a way to keep it going. They'll always find a way to keep it funded. I do agree with that. You know, if I had to bet my, my livelihood on one or the other, I would bet that they'll find a way to keep it going. So I don't, I don't necessarily believe this, but it's plain devil's advocate to say that is the whole thing a house of cards? And if you move one card, is the whole thing going to collapse? You know, because they really are in the red with it being at age 65. So you add another 20 to 30 million people into the spectrum, that burden, is that enough to collapse the whole system? I don't, I don't know. Very good point. <clears throat> I'm, and as you were speaking there, one thing that I was thinking about, pardon my taco eating, everybody. <laughs> It's a little spicy too. Woo, a little smoke there. It looks um, amazing. You know, one thing I'm thinking about is <clears throat> when you're talking about like the scalability of our infrastructure with this, what happens if 20 million people try to enroll in part A and part B, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a week? Like, I just imagine, I just picture someone like quitting. Like, you know, they're, they're, at, they're at their like government desk. <laughs> they're, they're getting all these enrollments coming through the server crashes. Like there's just, a Joanna Wyckoff like person out there somewhere. Yeah. That's like that jump exact, off a bridge. <laughs> that was my exact thought. Joanna's twin is out there. <laughs> it's true though. I, I agree, Jerry. I think there's, yeah. I think we would, again, as, as on the insurance side of the business, I think we would have so much opportunity and I think it would be very similar. I appreciate you sharing that story. I think that's a very <clears throat> kind of a good analogy or, or explanation of, of what could happen. I mean, there could be, there could be businesses that triple in such a short amount of time. I mean, it would be wild. So it's definitely something I think we should all be thinking about in case it happens and, and what to do if it does happen. I'm sure we'll have some ramp time. It's not like it's going to literally just happen overnight. You know, administration changes on the 20th, the 21st, everyone who's 60, <laughs> you know, like that's, I don't, I don't foresee something like that going down. Right. But, you know, there could be, it could be in like the first 100 days, right? A lot of presidents come in, they want to make, a lot of changes. Um, they're, they're trying to be proactive. Again, the pandemic is happening right now. Um, and I could see where it would fit into kind of the, the bigger picture. So I think there is a chance. I don't know what, if you had to put a, a statistical likelihood, Christian, a number, one to a hundred, and you had to say, you know, what are the odds that in 2021, legislature gets passed or the law gets changed where now Medicare beneficiaries can enroll in Parts A and B at age 60. And I would be shocked if, if MedSubs didn't drop with it. That would be weird. Yeah, me too. Me too. I would, I would get upset at everybody if that, <laughs> if that didn't happen. I mean, if, if I had to place a percentage on it, I would say I think it is more realistic and likely than people think. I, but I, I would say probably 40% would be my number. Um, I was going to say 60, which is funny. 46. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning yeah. the other, I'm leaning 60. Yeah. I feel like it is 
I think it's slightly more likely than not likely, but I don't know. Right. Totally. I, I think that it's very, very interesting because I think to make a change like that, I think, okay, let, you know, we, we could even look back at something that changed the, the infrastructure of under 65 health insurance with, you know, the affordable care act passing, yeah. right. That's yep. probably the closest thing that we could um, analyze to compare it. It was a war. It was like a back and forth, back and forth, tweaking this, tweaking that. And what we ended up getting wasn't really what the original thought behind it was. Um, Remember the first few years of that too? It was just a disaster. Companies going out of business left and right. It was totally. There was a company um, and I, I, I wasn't doing ACA back then. So I really am not as knowledgeable as I'd like to be, but it's interesting that you mentioned that. There was a company called Arches um, that was doing ACA and they were essentially created by the federal government. If I'm not mistaken, like they were funded, given millions of dollars by the federal government and they were doing it to create competition. That was the, the, the reasoning behind it, create competition, millions of dollars, like probably hundred million dollars. I don't know of money put into this company as like a startup for ACA. And it, it didn't take very long for them to go bankrupt and now they're just gone. You know, um, I think if anything, if they were to do something like that, I would be surprised if there weren't some speed bumps in the road, like an arches kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if they make that particular mistake again, um, cause that was just basically wasted money, you know, arches. Um, it's, well, it's interesting. So on the other, let's look at the, another, <clears throat> another, uh, profile or another perspective on this issue, right? Look at the insurance carrier side of the business. Wouldn't you just be jonesing for the 60 to 65, right? Because totally. you're, yeah. you're getting them in um, right away. So this is their, their first enrollment. And then health-wise, it's the healthiest block in the whole Medicare age group. There's no doubt in my mind that if you look at 60 to 90, uh, that 60 to 65 has got to be the best, right? The best bang yeah. for your buck where, where they're not going to the doctor, but they're paying their premiums. So I have a feeling, and again, that's where we're talking about, you know, the government, we're talking about lobbyists, we're talking about, you know, what's going to be in, in the best, um, best for these insurance carriers, right? What, what's best for them? They might want a younger demo to be on, on their book. Um, I could see them lobbying for that. So that, that would be an interesting, you know, kind of middleman to all of this between the consumer you know, you got the consumer, you got the government, you got the insurance agents and agencies, and then you've got the carriers. That's a great question that Josh just asked. Yeah. Uh, so he, Josh, Josh asked, would MAPD and SUPS be offered in the, if this were to happen, same comp or greatly reduced? Um, that's a thing to think about, you know, like would, would, would broker commissions take a hit in that world, in that scenario? I mean, I would imagine that like you were just saying, age 60 to 65 would be the most coveted client group, right? right? In the whole industry. Like even now, I think age 65, you know, those T65s are very coveted. You know, that's why they get hammered so much. Right. But even still, like you can have a 65-year-old that's aging into Medicare that is as healthy as like a 90-year-old. You know, I right. see them all the time. Right. They take 25 prescriptions and they're 64 and a half kind of thing. Like, yeah. But I don't think you'd see as many 60 year olds or 59 and a half year olds that are their health is that dramatically reduced. I think it'd just be a real um, slam dunk from the carrier's perspective, you know? 
um, to have that person on the books. I, I don't know if the comp would be dropped. From the insurance company's perspective, I, I would imagine they would be more profitable than they were. Yeah. I, think, I think if anyone would be hemorrhaging money, it'd be our government. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree with everything you said right there. I think, I think the insurance carriers have nothing but upside from a younger demo on their books. And I think it really is because Medicare essentially operates at a loss. So um, and unless they started, you know, increasing the, you know, how much it costs for Medicare parts A and parts B, right? I mean, you could always raise the rates. I, I, I would be curious to know how much they'd have to raise um, part A and part B to the point that they are profitable, or at least break even. Why not run at a break even? I mean, what, wonder what that cost would look like. So one thing that I wanted to mention about this, about that, that I think is kind of interesting. So I did a couple of podcasts last year, and then I also wrote a book the year before about Medigaps. And I, I did a lot of research about Medicare and kind of, you know, um, the reason why it loses money. Like, why does it lose money? You know, yeah, people right. pay into FICA, people, people pay, in, pay into FICA for their entire lives, right? Right. Like you're paying into FICA. I'm paying into FICA. Not very much, by the way, corporation. <laughs> but, um, uh, FBI agent listening, please. <laughs> but, but, but the reason why they lose money, like you have to rewind all the way back to when Medicare started in the 60s. Medicare starting in the 60s by LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, History of Medicare. Yeah, here, here you go, guys. This is history of Medicare. This is class. Um, yeah, but it, it was originally designed for a, a, a significantly smaller pool of people. This goes for Social Security as well. And um, Social Security, if you want to go down that route, it was designed to be a cushion for people's income when they retire, not something that they fully relied upon. It's turned into something that people live paycheck to paycheck off social security. That's not what it was intended for. Number one, that more of a, per, I feel like that's more of a perspective, not to, I don't want to get off subject here, but I feel like yeah. that's almost more of a perspective thing because there's so many seniors I know who are utilizing social security as a buffer, as just additional retirement income. It's yes. not their soul. Yeah. Right. And, and you look at the amounts like, You'd have to be eating cat food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make, if you want to retire on Social Security, it's like cat food. You're paying your rent, and hopefully your car's paid off, and you go to the store once a week. Like hundred um, percent. But that being said, I mean, I and and I and I wonder if you guys have seen this with your own clients. There's a, a shocking amount of people that do live off Social Security, paycheck to paycheck. Like not everybody, but. It's a it's a it's a tremendous percentage at the very least, um, and I don't think it was ever designed to be that even for a large percentage of people. Um, right. Final expense agents, roll call, roll call. <laughs> <laughs> Where you at? I know you got some clients who live on a thousand dollars a month, and they're just waiting for that check, baby. But but Medicare was originally designed in a similar light to where it was designed for what would you say, 10% of the number of people that we have today, maybe less? They weren't thinking about yeah. 50, 60 years down the road, you know, what it would look like, what, how big the system would get. Like, it'd be like a lawmaker today passing a bill and they're trying to take into consideration what it would look like in 2080. Like, you just can't picture that. Well, I'm going to look, yeah. 
let's i'm gonna look up population of the u.s in 1960 i'd love to know what it is but um it's a small it's a it was a significantly lower pool of people so back then you know they were able to operate it quite a bit differently and the medicare programs changed significantly as well but it's the increase in our population that has put the the strain in my opinion on on the medicare system and so it's it's crazy you know and, and um They've, they've obviously, over the last 60 years, loosened the screws on people being able to get on Medicare disability for certain reasons. So there's more people that are under that age of 65 that might not be paying into FICA taxes. And so it's, there's, there's a lot of reasons behind it, but that's, that's, that's kind of what I've come Let's, to understand. So a couple quick searches that I think are really interesting. So 1960, U.S. population is 180 million. So we are essentially twice the size. And obviously not only is the Medicare population twice the size, but here's the other thing I just looked up is, is life expectancy. The, in 1960, the average life expectancy here in the U.S., you're lucky if you made it to 70, 70s average. Great point. Very now true. it's, now there's an extra 10 years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, it, <clears throat> I think it's, you kind of had this combination of the two. You had an explosion in the population Plus life expectancy getting pushed out. It, yeah, advancements in, in, in medicine, you know, um, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Like picture yourself, I would say, trying to come up with this, you know, essentially senior, you know, healthcare program and the life expectancy is lower. The population's lower. You know, you can't really predict what advancements in modern medicine would become. You know, it's like almost like in, in, I, I, I say, let's look at it. Let's compare it to right now. Let's say they're trying to predict what it's going to be in 2080. You really can't. Is the life expectancy going to be hundred years old, you know, on average by that point? I, I don't know. Probably. Honestly, that, that was when I'm thinking, what's the future expectancy? I mean, what, what are we going to have to do? I mean, there's so many things that are, go that's going on right now in the science in the medical science kind of bio space that I feel like could potentially push the life expectancy to 90, 95, hundred years old. I mean, there's already people living over a hundred. It's really just a matter of, is that going to be the new average? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've got people yeah. in my family who lived to a hundred or further, um, which is just insane to think about like the, that sort of length of time. Um, but yeah, so what, but so regardless of, again, to kind of get back on track with the history of Medicare, because I think this is fascinating, regardless of the creation not matching up with where we are today, which is obvious to everybody, right? You know, created in 1960, here we are in 2020, 2021, doesn't, doesn't line up. Why can't there be simple changes to make it work? Like raising Part B premiums 500% or something like that. I mean, just throwing an idea out there. Yeah. Well, I do think there, I, I think, you know, some of the things they've done that have, have been not, not necessarily trying to do that, but I would say that, you know, the, the income related monthly adjustment is an attempt to do that, you know, to where if someone can afford to pay a significantly higher premium for part B, it might not be quite 500%, but it might be 300%, you know, 400%, something like that, you know, and, and some people pay you know, much higher rates for their Medicare Part B premium because of that income-related monthly adjustment. And they also ding them on the Part D 
as well and if they have part d coverage and so i think they've made an attempt to do that in some form or fashion um i do think if they did it just across the board altogether i mean i i do think that there i mean i don't know the exact number off the top of my head but it wouldn't surprise me if 30 percent or more of the medicare population lived paycheck to paycheck on social security i think those people like if it if the part i they those that that percentage of the people has a hard time paying it at, at 148 50 right you know and so if it was up to let's say 500 600 dollars i think it would i think those people would you know they're homeless first they'd, they'd be pissed <laughs> but um they're homeless yeah i mean yeah. it's it's a it's it's a difficult problem with not necessarily a real simple solution right Curious to know if anyone's, you know, if you're, if you're watching this live, obviously comment below, if you have thoughts on, you know, how to maybe fix the situation thoughts on, you know, what happens if Medicare does go from 65 to enrolling at 60, I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. If you're listening to this on a replay, you know, again, feel free to find us here in the six figure Medicare agent group and, you know, create a post or, or find this um, previously recorded live and, and comment below. I'd love to keep the conversation going, you guys. So um, <clears throat> it really is a complex issue. The more I think about it, the more it's just like, eh, it's, know, a mess. it's, like, it's yeah, a mess. It really I mean, mess. Um, and the other thing too, is when ACA came into the fray, um, I've always read, and maybe someone can correct me on that. Oh, Rebecca Davis said, she Ooh. bets it's closer to 60%. That's a huge number. That was like double what I was thinking. Um, but it, it might, it might be wonder woman it might be, it might be closer to 50, 60% for all we know. I, we, I'd, I'd love to get those numbers if somebody in the comments wants to fact check it, but, um, but essentially, you know, another thing that kind of comes to mind too, that's kind of interesting is when ACA came into the fray, I, I read some articles that said they had to, at the beginning, pull a lot of Medicare funding to help pay for ACA at a loss. Um, and so that was where, and, and I don't know if that's factual today, but like, it's, it's crazy because I think another, another thing that we can all agree on, no matter what side of the spectrum you are, is our government's not good with money. Oh God. You know, like, oh and my so God. anytime, you know, like a teenage girl in a mall with an unlimited credit card, bro. That's, <laughs> that's our, our U S government. If there's anything to take from this episode, you guys, it's what I just <laughs> said, the U S government is a 13-year-old with daddy's credit card, unlimited spend, just swipe, 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 swipe. Yeah. Just swiping it everywhere, you guys. It's not good. It's it's horrible. And um, it's it's one of those <laughs> it's one of those um, <laughs> um the thumbnail for this one should be you going swipe in a big like credit card, like on the screen. Here we go. Here's the thumbnail. I'm just I'm giving you guys the thumbnail right yeah. here. Just that's going to be the thumbnail. I'm not even joking right now. Plastic, please. Charge <laughs> it. But, but it's, it's, it's true. It's almost like thinking about, okay, you know, let's say there's a 21-year-old kid. You know, he just got out of college. And maybe you know, he's still in college or he's living with his parents or something like that. His parents come to him and say, little Johnny, you need to put together a budget. But Johnny's awful with money. It's not going to go very well. You know, Johnny's going to spend all of his, you know, clothes budget or whatever on going to the club or whatever Johnny does, you know, and um, oh, our U.S. government's the same way. You know, you put together a budget for Medicare. Where does that money go? It goes towards all this other crap. You know, I mean, it's like, um, 
So it, here's here's mess. something that again I'm kind of thinking what's a possible solution here. I'm a huge believer in preventative medicine. <clears throat> I think and I don't think this is like I don't think it's my opinion. I think this is more or less fact if I'm being frank or blunt here is yeah. you know for every every dollar spent in preventative care could be hundreds of dollars saved in consultative care down the road of someone who got sick. Um, yes. obviously we're not at a point where it's perfect science where we can prevent everything from happening. But that being said, something like cancer, for example, where we don't have a cure, the earlier you catch it, you know, the less lethal it could potentially be and the better chance you have of actually cutting it off. So I, I if, if there is anywhere to really, I think, increase the spend to try to lower the spend, right? Where, where are we going to invest the money? I think it's it's preventative medicine. And, and this kind of goes, again, back to lowering the age. If we take 60-year-olds, we put them on Medicare, and then we start investing more and more in preventative medicine, you know, my hope would be that we could actually start spending less money um, on the actual healthcare side when it comes to stuff like surgeries, medication, consultation visits, you know, all, all of these things that really increase the spend. I think that um, that's a great point. I, and I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's vital, especially for people on Medicare to get their preventative checks. And I think it would help if Medicare A and B would pay for a damn physical after your first 12 months. Yeah. You know, like their wellness check isn't going to cut it. It's not going to check enough. Um, I mean, you wouldn't believe the number of people that, you know, will enroll here in our office that um, sign up for SUPS will specifically kind of pound it into their head, be like, just so you know, Medicare has a little bit of weird limitations on your preventative visits. And this is kind of what it looks like. And then 13, 14 months later, they'll call our office and they'll be like, I went in for a physical. I got all this blood work done. I was like, well, was there something wrong with you? No. Well, Medicare didn't deem it medically necessary. Now you get stuck with a $600 bill. That discourages people from getting their preventative checks. Um, look, look at dental care. I mean, dental care is structured. I, I feel like the dental care has a really good structure in place, right? Is it focuses on preventative. Um, you have certain things that you're allowed to do within a time window, right? You get your x-rays done every six months or every 12 months. You're getting a cleaning every six months. Like, why, why, would, why would we only do that with our teeth? Like, yeah. why, why wouldn't we do that with our, our physical health for our body? It makes no sense to me that we would limit the sort of preventative care. And again, like I said, it's, it's proven that we could actually reduce these costs down the road. So, yeah, I agree. I'm I I'm running. I guess I'm running for president. I don't I don't know what else to say on this. I guess that's really it, you guys. Shelton 2024. Shelton, Shelton, Shelton Brindle 2024. Shelton uh, Brindle 2024. Kanye can be your your VP. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Shelton West 2024. Shelton West 2024. <laughs> he, he, him and Kim are getting divorced, bro. He can't run now. What do you say? Is that official? Is that like actually happening? Uh, that's what I read. I don't know. Oh, man, I, I, I thought I, I, I didn't look into it too carefully. I thought it was just a rumor, but that's big news. That's that, maybe next Taco Tuesday is all only Kanye and Kim. Maybe <laughs> yeah, Kanye Kim. Kanye Tuesday, Kim. We're just doing Kanye and Kim because it's so big. I don't know. Um, Rebecca says government states. Uh, I, I'm assuming she looked it up when you were talking about how many people would would need 
extra help. She said it was 35%. So yes, paycheck to paycheck is high. So does that mean 35? Are we extrapolating from that data? If it's 35% well, qualify for extra help, then even more than 30, it's more than 35. Yeah, I, for I, think, sure. I think it'd have to be because, you know, you can live paycheck to paycheck on your social security and not qualify for extra help. Right. So it's got to like, be more. Um, so it's, it's got to be closer to probably at least 50%, maybe 60%. I think Rebecca probably nailed it right on the head there. Um, it's probably at least half. It really yeah. is it's probably at least half. Which, you know, that speaks to a bigger problem. I think we're getting into all of the country's problems in this, <laughs> in this episode. But I think that You're comes up. down to a, a problem where, you know, there's not enough financial education in our country. People just don't know how to prepare themselves for retirement. Um, and that's a much bigger problem for another episode, podcast episode. But, you know, if, if half of our seniors are living paycheck to paycheck and they're basically being spoon fed by their social security checks by the government, that's scary to me. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's, and you're hundred percent right. Education is a big part of it, but uh, we really should have an episode where we talk more about retirement because it's so interwoven with Medicare, with life insurance, with final expense, I think there's a bigger picture where, um, you know, going through what retirement looks like, you know, what do you want your income to be? What's your lifestyle going to be? You know, what sort of, do you have assets? Do you have savings? You know, do you have a house? Is your house paid off? Like there's all these different kind of pieces that a senior has to play with. And I mentioned earlier, my parents are in their sixties. They're kind of coming up on this retirement age and it's, you know, at, at my age, I'm in my thirties um, it's interesting to see it firsthand with my family. And, and again, realizing that they're just one of hundreds of thousands, millions of, of seniors who are having to do this same exact kind of guessing game, right? Like, do I have enough money saved? Do I have enough assets? You know, is social security going to be enough in conjunction with these things to maintain my lifestyle? So I would love to have a more in-depth retirement episode. I think that would be awesome. Agreed. Um, Mike said we should have Ron Ray on for that. I agree. Ron, if you see this, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Mike, um, tag Ron. Yeah. Let's go. Big admirer. Big admirer. Um, but yeah, guys, I mean, it's, 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 it's such a crazy, you know, complex um, issue with so many different working parts in terms of what causes it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, I I I, I was um, listening to uh, a, a Patrick Bed David video the other day when I was at the gym, and I'm a big fan, Patrick Bed David. A lot of people hate him in our industry because of his business model and people helping people. I don't pay attention to any of that. I, I got a lot of respect for the dude in terms of what he's been able to accomplish. I always forget that he's the PHP dude. I yeah. always forget that yeah. he's the PHP dude. That's crazy. Okay, keep and, going. And, you know, he's got this huge YouTube channel called Valuetainment, got a couple million subs. Maybe right. Um, and he had, um, Robert Kiyosaki on who I'm also a big fan of huge uh, fan. And they were talking about this very issue, but they were more talking about the overall debt of the country. And he was like, you know, he's like, and Patrick bed, David's kind of grilling him a little bit. And he's like, you know, if you were the president, how do you fix it? How do you fix it? How do you fix it? And he's giving these, you know, if you ever watch a Kiyosaki interview, he likes to give very cryptic, not clear answers. You know, he doesn't like to, doesn't yeah. like to answer the question. Basically he's a right. big He's like a politician. He'll answer the yeah. question he wants to be asked, not the one that yep. you ask. Yep. And um, 
And so Patrick, but David does a great job. He doesn't let it go. He just drills it. He's going to get his answer. And he, and he, he comes out right out and says this. He's like, you can't fix it. It's unfixable at this point. And he's like, it's terrifying. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, yeah. And he's, and he's like, he's like, he's like, so what do we do? He's like, he's like, well, rich guys like me, he's like, I'm going to play the system and get rich, but the country can't be fixed. I was like, fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, guys, this is the final Taco Tuesday episode. Country cannot get out of <laughs> Christian just let that bomb drop here. I'm sorry. We can't put the cat back in the bag. Um, but We're yeah, it, it it is a huge issue. And there's just this game. I was actually reading a book. I'm blanking on the title right now. But what was it? I'll have to, I'll have to look up the title of the book again. But the, the premise of the book was talking about essentially inflation versus deflation and this again kind of this whole idea ties back into this we're talking about you know medicare starting the 1960s and here we are 60 years later and what it looks like and i mean the the world or america in 1960 was just so different um i mean you could go buy a car for four or five grand you could buy a house for less than a hundred grand um, so I think part of, again, part of the complication of all of this too is the inflation of how much everything costs. It's insane. Yeah. It really is insane. And yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't feel like we can have this conversation without talking about the stimulus checks, you know, and how that's going to impact things. Cause I think it plays a role, right? I mean, I don't think you can print trillions of dollars that we don't have and not expect this inflation problem to not just speed up, but just take a, take leapfrog jumps. Um, and so that's something that's kind of scary to me is just, you know, how much does that speed up inflation? You know, there's been two stimulus checks, a couple different, you know, PPP loans, SBA loans. So the stat I heard, and this was before the most recent round of stimulus. So the stat I heard as of like November, it was like 37% of US dollars were introduced in 2020. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. So more than a third of the money that has ever been in the United States came into circulation in the year 2020. And so when we're talking about something like inflation, yeah, I mean, what? Horrific. I mean, but, but that's got to play a role as well in just, you know, in every aspect of the economy, healthcare, you know, Medicare, everything. Um, another thing I thought that I don't, I don't know if you want to dive into this, if you want to get this deep on it, but can we really avoid talking about Medicare for all if we're going to talk about this? No, I don't, I don't think you can, because again, like I meant, I mean, I already brought it up, right? There is a group of people who believe that Medicare for all is the best and, and I guess, and here's, if we're going really deep here, right? We're talking about Medicare for all. Is a one-payer system Medicare for all or is Medicare for all, I guess it's technically different, isn't it? A one-payer system where like the government pays all health costs for the country because the Medicare for all system would, would work differently than that, right? So, so Mike Newton made a comment. I saw him comment on something today and I, I think he's, I thought he was spot on. He said that Medicare for all isn't really Medicare for all. The idea of Medicare for all is more like Medicaid for all. Right. 
which I'm just like, I don't think you can explain it any better than that. Like every, everything, every idea I've ever seen of actual, like the, for a term of Medicare for all as nothing, what Medicare is now it's a single payer system. Um, and yeah, yeah. Rebecca said socialized healthcare. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what it is. They just call it Medicare for all. Cause it's cute. You know, um, it's catchy. Um, I am not a proponent of it. Right. I mean, how could I be? I'd be, I'd be on a, in a box out on the street out there, you know, like, I mean, would it though? Cause selfishly. I've heard, see, okay. But to get into this a bit, because I've, I've heard it from, from Medicare brokers, I've heard it both ways. And this was something that kept me out of the Medicare industry. When I first got my license almost 10 years ago, was this idea that Medicare could go to a Medicare for all or Medicare could go into a one payer system where the government pays for all health. And then there is no more health insurance, essentially. I've heard it both ways, even as recently as like this year or last year is well, Medicare for all would be more opportunity for us. Cause now we can, you know, Oh, this 30 year old can get a med sub. Like I've heard people argue it that way. But then the other argument is, well, if we go into a Medicare for all system, you know, a government option comes into play or there's some sort of subsidy or we're going to lose our commissions, yada, 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 you know, the kind of the, the rolling stone of, of the downside of where that could go. So I, I don't know. I don't know how it would work. And, and the problem too here is, it's almost like these catchphrases. It's not like there's a clear definition of what these things are and there won't be a clear definition until it gets legislated. And then even once it gets legislated, it really has to pass before we know how it operates. So yeah, I don't know. Like I don't, I, it could, it could be great for all Medicare brokers. I'm selling subs to 30 year olds. This is awesome. (laughs) Or maybe they're right. Maybe it destroys the whole Medicare industry. And now we're all selling, you know, cancer insurance, trying to keep our, our lights on in our house. I, I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea. The, the only um, brokers that I personally have talked to that think it would be a good thing are people that just hear the phrase Medicare for all and assume it means Medicare for all citizens, the way Medicare is structured today. Everything I've ever read, listened to, jumped into, you know, I've, I've tried to I, when, when, when Bernie Sanders first came on the scene, I was trying to listen to his proposals and everything like that. And every single ounce of data I could find was, was essentially suggesting that it would be, um, a single payer system, you know, and just kind of do away with private insurance, if you will, in a sense, you know, it it almost sounded like, it almost sounds like to me that it's VA for all, right. The VA system everywhere. But for all citizens, Rebecca, shout out Rebecca. She just said Medicare for all equals Medicaid. We're out of a job. So yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially like what you're saying, VA. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and that's what everything, I mean, of course, I think you're right. I think we wouldn't know exactly what it would look like unless it actually became a thing, but I haven't seen anything myself to make me think that it would be like Medicare part A and B for everybody. Everybody can buy subs. Everybody can have Medicare advantage. That's obviously the dream. Right. <laughs> right. That's the dream. Like I can, get, I, can, I can get on board with that. That's, you know? all I, that's a dream. Baby. I, I vote Medicare for all 30 year olds get subs. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Yeah. But I don't see that. I don't see how something like that, that dramatic could happen because 
you mentioned lobbyists earlier, you know, insurance companies have the most powerful lobbyists in the world. They have all these political powers behind them. Um, not just insurance companies, but hospital chains, you know, cause they would essentially be gone. And, well, um, the, isn't, wouldn't you say the most powerful entities are the ones that are vertical being vertically integrated, like Kaiser Permanente. Don't you think that's, don't you think that's the yeah. future, right? Yeah. Probably insurance so. company is the hospital is the local doctor is the uh, pharmacy. It's all just one vertically integrated company like Kaiser Permanente, which. And we're seeing more and more of that too. Um, like United is hiring doctors for Optum now, which Optum is United Healthcare subsidiary. Um, Aetna owns CVS now in lots of parts of the country. They're having clinics in the CVS pharmacies, you know, in the back. Um, and you know, you have like, there's a local company here in Utah I've mentioned on the pot on, on the show before called select health. They're owned by the biggest hospital chain we have in Utah, you know, in Intermountain healthcare, um, they're the same company. I mean, I think we're seeing more and more of that. So here's here's a question for you is do you do you believe that the insurance carriers will get what they want? Yes or no? Just at at the end of the day, like at, at the, the bottom end of the day when we're talking about what the future of Medicare looks like, what the future of health insurance looks like here in the United States. True or false? Yes or no? Will the insurance carriers get what they want no matter what? I believe they will. Yeah, that's my, that's my same opinion. I, I, don't, I think it has less to do with the constituents, yeah. less to do with the politicians, yeah. and it all comes down to the money, the lobbyists, and I think the insurance carriers are the ones who get to decide what the future is. So, and, and that's why looking at it from the insurance carrier's perspective, I think lowering the Medicare age to 60 is like, I mean, I can only imagine, could you imagine being like an exec at Aetna and that comes through? You would just be like, you'd be like, let's go to the yacht. <laughs> at the yacht, bro. We're it. going on the yacht next week. Party. <laughs> we just made $10 billion overnight. <laughs> let's go. You market know? capitalization. All of a sudden, United Healthcare is a higher market cap than Apple. And <laughs> Oh, that would be... <laughs> I, yeah, but like, and so, but again, looking at it from the insurance carrier's perspective, I think something like a Medicaid for all hurts them. That's a yes. bad thing for them. So because of that, I don't think, I don't see that happening. I, I really don't see that happening. Even if we got to the point where like 70%, and I mean, if we talk about the VA, you mentioned the VA. I think we can all almost, I'd say almost, I'm not a veteran, so I don't want to speak for veterans, but the stories I've heard, I would say the majority of the veterans that I've spoken to, both young and old, about their health care, I'd say the majority of them would be willing to go on the record and say that it's bullshit, that it's yeah. absolute horrendous. Yeah. They're waiting where they have to go to get care. I mean, you name it. I've heard so many horror stories about the VA. As have I, as have I. Um, and that's the thing I think that's the scariest. Cause like, I feel like anytime the government runs anything or almost most things, I think most things that the government runs and has complete control over like that are ran bad, you know, like the DMV, 
most DMVs are a, are a nightmare to deal with. No one likes to go to the DMV. You know, there are, there's one good DMV I've been to. It's in Utah, but, um, but, but the, there's a, every other DMV I've ever had to go to, you know, just horrific, long waits, unorganized, you know, understaffed, um, inefficient. Social security is a good example of that too. Um, I, I, that, that's what I picture, you know, I, I picture, you know, I picture the VA system. I picture the post office. I picture, um, I mean, the DMV, you, you take your pick, you know, anything that's kind of controlled and ran by the government is probably going to be slow, inefficient, and, um, a pain in the ass to deal with. So again, not to get too political here, but when (laughs) I've seen, I, I feel like I have to preface this, like every thought I'm like, don't want to step on any toes here, but when I've seen Biden get pressed on his healthcare, um, how, how he views healthcare, um, I've heard what his dream would be or, or his Biden healthcare, whatever, would be to have a, a, like a fully funded government option where there is an option, which essentially we already have anyways, in my mind, because Medicaid's available. Right nationwide anybody you know young or old for the most part who um can't you know they don't have the income to get on health insurance and get on medicaid so my understanding is is and and his opinion or what i feel like i've heard expressed and i could be wrong is that he thinks a fully funded government option would give more people coverage and create competition for the other carriers what do you think about that? Have you heard anything about this type of healthcare coming into America? What do you think? Well, um, it's multi-layered for sure. I've heard a little bit about it. Um, I would say, wait a second, wait a second. Michael says in Japan, they sell supplemental insurance at the post office. <laughs> I need a link. I, I, I got to see this. You. I believe you because Japan is, I love Japan. I think the Japanese are amazing. Um, that is awesome. I, I really do want to see a link for that, but go yeah, I'd on, love go to ahead. see. A, I'd love to see a link to that too, Mike, because if, if I can get a link to that, that's going to turn into an everything Medicare podcast episode, like a 30, 40 minute podcast episode. Go to <laughs> Japan to get your cancer insurance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be talked about. Um, the world needs to know, but, um, but, but anyway, um, so it's it's interesting, you know, it it I would say if it's a public option, I feel like a majority of people, okay, let's say let's go with the assumption that 50 to 60% of people um that are on Medicare or on retirement age live paycheck to paycheck. Um let's go with that assumption. I'd say yeah. that percentage of people is going to take the public option. Right? Like without a question because they don't have to pay for it. Right. Um and so I think that for, you know, if you're looking at it from an agent perspective, it, that that's a bad thing for us because it eliminates probably half of our clients, you know, who aren't going to find the need to pay for private insurance. Um, and also what happens to Medicare at that point is Medicare become optional. Can you opt out of Medicare with no penalties and just take the public option? Like, what would that look like? Um, I have no idea. There, there's a lot of different layers to that 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 are yet to be determined if something like that ever transpired um have you heard is that more or less the concept behind what biden has talked about though 
having a, a fully funded public option like that? I've heard him mention it, but but when I when I've actually heard about like what's actually realistic of what could happen, it's I've more heard along the lines of it being lowered to sixty, the Medicare age being lowered to sixty kind of thing. That that's what I hear whispers about and chirps and things like that more than anything else. Um, that could be his ultimate vision or something like that or his dream, but he might feel like it's maybe unrealistic, you know. And the Medicare low age being lowered to sixty is maybe a nice console, you know, a nice alternative, you know, so maybe a realistic. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a classic deal-making move in my, in my head. I think it's, I'm going to flash something liberal, pull, pull the left in and then try to settle something less liberal to pull the right in. Yeah. Um, Meet in the I, middle. I, my skepticism though, is the ACA, this was essentially what Obama promised. Yeah. Um, Obama promised the ACA was going to create competition. Um, and in a lot of ways, it didn't. In a lot of ways, it ruined competition and created less options because of the legislature, the rules behind it. And some places actually saw less options. Quite a uh, so- places too. Like, you know, there were so many big name carriers that did not want to know part of ACA for a yep. long time. Yep. Um, and some of them are back in now, and I think it's starting to get better, but um, it was a real problem, you know, like, and, and if we just talk about ACA, like we can talk about my state, just as an example in Utah, that company I told you about that, that the hospital systems own them, you know, Select Health, they have 80% plus of the ACA market share in Utah. It's some absolutely um, humongous number. Um, and that comes because there was a while there where all the current options we have in the marketplace weren't options. It was really just those guys and like one company here, one company there, like that, but it was really them or bust. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, it was, it, 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 it was interesting because what they tell us it will look like probably won't be what it ends up looking like. No. Isn't that more or less, Canada's option like isn't the way Canada works and again this is I'm not <laughs> I'm not the <laughs> expert on Canadian healthcare I guess I'll preface this comment with that statement because I'm I'm definitely not although I did date a Canadian for a period of time so maybe I'm I am slightly qualified and <laughs> and um she and her family because they were all Canadians um they couldn't speak I, I met, again i was much younger at the time but they couldn't speak highly enough about the healthcare in canada they thought it was incredible which at the time my understanding as like a teenager was that socialized medicine is horrible so to hear someone firsthand say something different kind of jarred my mind right i'm under the understand i my understanding is now that they have a public option that's free or you can pay a premium for other healthcare um, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe everything is free and socialized there, but I, I think it would be, I think it's, I think it would essentially be the ACA part two. If we went this direction, I, with a public option, you know, I think we all agree that there should be a safety net like Medicaid for people who can't afford anything. Like we, we got to help these people out. We have the ability to have some sort of safety net, even if it's really small, but the flip side of it is we can't help out half the country. <laughs> we put half the country on, on to socialized medicine and we try to tell the other half they can just pay for the care they want. 
I think the sort of you're you're messing with the system at such a large scale that I think the whole things you, you have no idea how that'll kind of shake out. Like it most likely, I think you'll damage a lot of these these premium healthcare options that people love today, and you know maybe it becomes such a premium because they lost right. They end up losing to the public option, so now they have to charge even more to maintain their profitability. And so now those who want to pay, who are making, you know, they're in a top tier tax bracket now that they can't even afford to pay for their premium health care that they want. And so now you kind of, you created this vacuum where there would probably be a huge amount of people in my head that wouldn't qualify for the public option. And then they also can't afford the premium option that they were paying for before. Yeah. And it would just probably create this massive vacuum for a, a big part of the population so I'm, I don't know. I really, I feel like I'm more lost now than when we started. I, I really do. We went I, backwards. We went I know. Backwards. I, I thought we'd get some answers today, Christian. I we feel made like- it worse. We made it worse. Um, it's okay. So Rebecca posted something. I'm going to uh, comment about Canada. She said half of Canada hates it. The other half likes it. Sounds like most things in most countries. Right? <laughs> like um, really depends on what part of Canada you live in takes three to four months just to get an MRI or doctor's appointment in many parts. I wanted to mention one thing about Canada. Um, I am not super familiar on if they have a, like if they have a double edged sword like that, if they have a public option paid option, I'm sure they do. Rebecca, do do you know, do you know, do you know Rebecca, but I, I did, I do know this. I did a everything Medicare podcast episode. It's probably been two years now. Wow. since I did it because um, it was really starting to catch traction and I started hearing about it a lot. So I did an everything Medicare podcast about it to explain what the Bernie Sanders idea of it would, would actually was because it was, you know, everywhere I'd see it on bumper stickers and cars and all, all kinds of places. And um, one thing I discovered through my digging was in, I did this episode 2018 in 2017, I was able to pull um, an article that and it's still linked on the YouTube video of this podcast if anyone wants to go track it down. But um, it was something along the lines of sixty to seventy thousand Canadians per year on average come to the United States to have procedures done and pay out of pocket. Hmm. That's a pretty big number. That is a big number. I mean, if I mean to to me, you know, if they have such fantastic health care, why do that many people feel the need to do that? And it can't be cheap to pay out of pocket here. Maybe, you know, like Rebecca is saying, if it's, if it's certain areas, right. And, and the, the person that I spoke to, the family I spoke to, who spoke super high of it, they came from like a less densely populated part of Canada. So in my head, what I'm thinking is maybe, maybe in the densely populated areas, like the big cities, maybe it's horrible and there's huge wait times, but maybe if you're in a less densely populated area, there's more doctors to go around and there's not a huge wait time and, and you can get the care you want when you want it. Maybe it's really that simple. I don't know. I'm, I'm really totally guessing here. It, it could be a situation where like, if you live dead, if you live in Los Angeles, it's probably going to be tremendously overcrowded. You probably have to wait six months to see somebody. But if you live in like the middle of nowhere and there's like two people in the town, then you probably can just walk right in and get seen. Maybe it's as simple as that. Like you said. Yeah, so Rebecca says there you can get extra benefits through private companies. 
Yeah, so it almost sounds more like it's only supplemental stuff. Like you can't get like core coverage through other companies, right? Right. That Which, that's my interpretation. Well, and that's and and to be to since we're talking about this, Mike, shout out to Mike Gill. I don't know if you're still watching, but Mike was saying when we were talking earlier about you know what happens if we were to go to a Medicare for all, to a one payer system. You know, Mike was like, that's why you got to know life and annuities. So that way you can, you know, pivot right away and you're making money. Um, I don't think any Medicare broker should be scared. I, I, you know, I guess to kind of wrap, come towards the back end of this whole conversation, kind of wrap things up. I don't think anybody should be scared. If you're a Medicare broker, if you're doing a ton under, you know, the Advantage supplement, um, kind of the current Medicare model that we have today, I don't think you should be scared of changes, even if something radical were to happen. You know, let's say, you know, 2024, Bernie Sanders gets in. He's half How robot at this How point. How old will he be? I don't know. He's half <laughs> robot at this point because that's what happens. And Bernie Sanders gets, you know, Medicare for all or, or a one-payer system passed. You know, supplemental benefits aren't going anywhere. Life insurance is definitely not going anywhere. You know, fixed index annuities, like we talked about earlier, we want to do a whole episode on retirement. Your license can help you handle that. So I think there's so much opportunity with your insurance license that even if something insane were to happen, there's no reason you can't pivot and continue to make great money. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my thought. I, I don't believe that the Medicare system as a whole is just going to poof disappear. Um, I don't believe so. Um, could it happen at some point? I, I, I really don't feel comfortable necessarily always hundred percent rolling it out, but I do think it wouldn't be anytime soon. And I think we would see it coming a mile away. You know, I, I come back to the macro bill took five years for the macro bill to take effect. So we had so much time to prepare for the macro bill and, and what the impact it had on the Medigap world, um, Medicare supplement world. I, if I had to put a nickel on it, I would say it's not going anywhere. Um, I would say that there's just too many jobs in place. I think there's too much power behind the scenes from the insurance companies and the healthcare industry. Um, I, I would be very, very surprised. I don't think it's I don't think it's ever going to happen, or at least not for some time. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the insurance carriers are the ones who are really in power here, in my opinion, that are really the ones that will decide what the future of healthcare here in America looks like. And I don't, I don't see how a Medicare for all or a one payer system would benefit them. I, I don't know. I, it doesn't. It just doesn't makes sense in my opinion. I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see legislature and an argument for it, but I just, I don't, I don't see it coming to fruition anytime soon for sure. So guys, um, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I want to give Glenn a chance to kind of give some final thoughts and any last things he wanted to say. And then, but before we do that, um, I wanted to mention to you guys that uh, Taco Tuesday, let's talk about it podcast is up available Talk about on- insurance oh, sorry taco taco about assure insurance i got the taco name wrong i got the name of our own podcast wrong you're fired, you're fired. <laughs> but um it's it's up guys it's available um let's talk about insurance 
It's on Spotify right now. It's on Anchor. It's on one or two other platforms at this point. In the next 24 hours, you should see it everywhere. Um, Apple Podcast, and I will post links to it later. I'll post them tonight. I'll post them tomorrow. Um, so when I post links, if you guys could do us a huge, tremendous favor, we already have 17, 18 episodes up. Um, I think this episode today makes it 18 or 19, something like that. Um, if you guys could do us a huge favor, go and leave us a, a review. If you've watched these Taco Tuesdays episodes um, the last six months or so that we've been doing this, um, it would do us a, a huge um, benefit and sh- to show your support and leave us a review on the platforms that allow it. Yes, I second everything Christian just said. Leave us a review, five stars. I think we should. We deserve six. I don't think you can give us a six-star review, but um, really excited about continuing the conversation, bringing in more experts this year, you guys, to, to have these conversations. Obviously, Christian and I are... We Christian and I know like 98% of everything, but there's still like this 2% that, that we need help with. So um, obviously an exaggeration, but really excited to have others on the show, on the podcast and talking to them about these types of issues. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out anywhere you can find a podcast in the next 24 hours. Like Christian said, Taco Tuesday, let's talk about insurance um, will be the official title. So um, final thoughts for today's episode and, you know, kind of coming back to what started that whole conversation, which was, you know, the Medicare age being lowered. You know, I think there's, I think there's three age, three potential ages that it could be lowered to if it does get lowered. I think it could go down to 62. I think it could go down to 60. And then I think it could go down to 55. I think, I think 62 while it's possible and, and you could even argue it's less of a, of, a, of a jump because it's only three years, I feel like that 60, 59 and a half, isn't it? You can like start early withdrawal on a lot of your retirement funds at 59 and a half, right? Um, or, or you can do so without penalty. For social security? I don't know, social security or is it um, like 401ks, SEP. I think it's that. I think it's, yeah, I think it's private. I think it's the private, like if your, your own yeah. funds. Yeah. I think at 59 and a half, you can start taking distribution. So I think that 60 in my head, I think that 59 and a half to 60, I think it is a real possibility. Again, for the record, Christian said 40%. I said 60%. We'll see what actually happens. Maybe it doesn't get lowered at all. Um, but I would say just be ready for any changes, whether it's the Medicare age being lowered or something more drastic. Um, just just be ready for any of those potential changes and um, get potentially the, the opportunity that c- comes with that. You know, Christian mentioned with some changes in Medicare previously, his dad tripled the size of his book of business during those changes in a very short amount of time that same type of opportunity could be available to all of us shortly, you know, in the next few months, maybe in the next couple of years. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Obviously there's variables to all of this, but um, yeah. So just be ready for any changes and uh, excited for more taco Tuesdays, you guys. Well, the Christian, best is yet to go to, to come guys with um, taco Tuesday. And thank you all for, for watching every single week, supporting us. And um, we'll have links shortly for, the podcast versions of all the episodes we've done, including today's episode. So 
thanks so so much guys um what what are your final thoughts on oh my on, final thoughts I medicare final age thoughts. being lowered final okay, okay. thoughts medicare right, right. age You're right i forgot about my final thoughts um, i need to hear this my final thoughts are probably this I mean, the, the age of 62 is interesting to me because that's the, the youngest age people can draw social security. And I do think there's a lot of confusion with people in Medicare. I think that would simplify it because then they could draw social security at age 62. They could draw Medicare at age 62. That, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, although I, I haven't heard any whispers about that. I think if there's any age change, I would put my money on it being 60. Um, I think 55 is just too much of a jump in terms of the the burden it would put on the Medicare system. I think if if it's 20 to 30 million people from age ages um, 60 to 64, I, I imagine it would probably be 50, 60, 70 million people from age 55 to oh, 64. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, you know, um, without knowing the numbers. Um, so I I would I would imagine I would expect it to be age 60 if it were to happen. Um, Although the age 62 is interesting to me because then it would go hand in hand with drawing social security, but I just don't see it happening as much. Um, but, but I mean, pre- preparation guys, be prepared for anything. One of my favorite books that I've ever read is um, who moved my cheese. Um, and it's such a great book because it's all about being adaptable and being able to be prepared in your business and being able to quickly make pivots so you can capitalize on opportunities and not being, you know, frozen where you are stuck where you are so set in your ways so just be prepared for anything and be ready for whatever happens keep a close eye and attention to whatever's going on maybe set google alerts for the keyword medicare um so that way you're notified so you can just know what's going on and just be ready love it all right guys taco tuesday we'll be back next tuesday 3 p.m pacific standard 6 eastern Adios. Have a good week, everybody.